everyone, welcome back to But Why the Podcast, and this episode is sponsored by Podcorn, and today we are taking a look at Half-Life. As always, I'm your host Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And Adrian is going to be leading us through the world of Half-Life today. Yeah, I'm going to be taking you on a train ride, so grit your crowbars and watch your head for head crabs. <laughs> we're talking about Half-Life. We're, talk- we're primarily talking about Half-Life because on March 23rd of this year, Half-Life Alex comes out. So it might be cool to kind of jump into it because we're probably never getting Half-Life 3. So this is probably the closest we're going to get to it, unfortunately. So my intro question, Half-Life's been around for a long time, and there's lots of games and lots of mods and lots of expansions. So how many of the Half-Life games have you played in the series? Matt? So I'm going to start off with saying when I think of Half-Life, I think of how we talk about radioactive material. Um, so that's about how we're going with this episode. Um, but anyways, um, I've played the very first one a little bit, obviously. I will say that I have played it, but I have not played these games. So that's one of those, like, gone somewhere and said, hey, check it out. This is what we're playing. I'm like, cool. And then I'm like, I'm leaving. Bye. We had fun, friends. But that's about it. So I'm going to be learning a lot. Yeah, that's great. Hopefully... You know, I mean, I think like out of everybody on the on the show, I think this would be most up your alley because Gordon Freeman is just a scientist who likes theoretical physics and knows how to solve puzzles. So I thought this would be kind of up your alley. Yeah, so. no, I mean, obviously it came out and I don't know if this is necessarily peak per se, but this was kind of like my years of peak like uh, sports games when they were around because we have like 98, 99 with like the two games and then even 2001. And we between Madden, we had the 2K series and everything, and I played yeah. a ton of sports games. And so this just kind of fell to the wayside. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Late late 90s, and even with Half-Life 2, Half-Life 2 comes out, a bunch of games come out in that same year. So yep. definitely understandable. What about you, Kate? Uh, so I played, I think it's Half-Life 2 Episode 2, the one that's in Orange Box. Is that the one that's in the orange box? Well, all three of them are in orange box. So Half-Life, Half-Life 1, and Half-Life 2. Half-Life okay. 1 is the one that's Alex. Half-Life 2 is the one that's Gordon Freeman. Okay, yes. Then I played <clears throat> 1 and 2 because they were in orange box. Because I bought the orange box for Team Fortress. Gotcha. Makes and sense. then, because uh, my friends were playing it at the time. And then I was like, oh, what are these other games? And then I played those. Um, I don't remember a lot of it. I do remember having fun. But uh, the one thing that I remember the most was when I had started going to conventions, the headcrabs were yeah. everywhere, those headcrab hats. Um, so that was kind of like the one thing I knew from uh, from Half-Life that kind of went out. That and I remember, uh, I think it was in college when everybody was pushing for the Where's Half-Life 3 and we're like camping out at Valve Studios and stuff like that. So that's probably a larger Half-Life memory. <laughs> Um, but no, I've, I played one and two. Um, I specifically, I think I remember more of episode two than I do like specifically, but yeah, that's kind of my experience. So a little bit in Matt's camp, but I have played through the game. So a little bit less in Matt's camp. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So for me, um, Half-Life is like one of like the first PC games I played because it, I would go over to my uncle's house and my uncle had like a, at that time, like the one of the top of the NPCs, so I would like play Half Life. He would let me play Half Life and you know Fear and other kinds of games on this computer. And Half Life was one of my first computer FPS games, and obviously I played Half Life Two when it came out as well. And the Orange Box is like a big part of that too, because when I got my own PC, he got me the Orange Box, and I played through 
episode one, episode two of Half-Life 2, and then going back and playing the old Half-Lives, because that also has expansions. So I've, I've played Half-Life quite a bit. I'm not in the uh, let's camp out at Valve for Half-Life 3 camp, because that's just kind of <laughs> insane. And if you're one of those people, I'm sorry, but like... They can't I'm not. Three, it's man. all Sorry. just insane. It's all just yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah. I don't apologize. Why are you doing that? Yeah, it's it's fine. Like if they don't want to make the game, they're not going to make the game. And even if they made the game at this point, like would it, they even like it in this gaming culture? There's no way they would like that it. That is There's fair. No like at this point, they have waited it for it for so long. If Valve said we're making Half Life Three, it would come out, and so many people would just be mad. Yeah, they would just be mad. So this is why we're getting Half Life Alex, like a prequel to Half-Life 2, basically. But we'll kind of talk about there at the end. So the production history of Half-Life is kind of a but why though in itself. So this is like, because the production history is kind of interesting of how well Valve hits with their very, very first game and just all the stuff that spawns after it. So if you're not familiar with Half-Life in and of itself, Half-Life is a series of first-person shooter games developed and published by Valve. In most installments, players control Gordon Freeman, a physicist who battles an alien invasion, the games combine shooting combat, puzzles, and storytelling together. The series primarily consists of Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2, but each of them have their own expansions, so you basically have more than just those two games. So 1998, you have Half-Life. 1999, you have Half-Life Opposing Forces. 2001, you have Half-Life Blue Shift and Half-Life Decay, which is a multiplayer version of Half-Life. Half-Life, uh, in 2004, you have Half-Life Source. Half-Life 2 comes out, and Half-Life 2 Deathmatch. 2005, Half-Life 2 Lost Coast, which is like a lost story kind of thing. They kind of cut story from Half-Life 2, so they just gave you that as an expansion. In 2006, Half-Life Team Deathmatch Source and Half-Life 2 Episode 1. Hold on! Half-Life Deathmatch Source, that's a name? Yeah, that's it's, it's named primarily because Source is the name of their engine that they used to make half-life 2 so i think they just so they just went with like let's put source in everything that's why okay. we had counter-strike source um, that makes sense all, now yeah and then oh, like unreal tournament but with source exactly exactly <laughs> and then in 2007 you have half-life 2 episode 2 like kate kind of talked about that that she played and then later this month march 23rd 2020 we have Half-Life 2 Alex, which is the virtual reality game, which we'll kind of talk about later later on um, very kind of quickly because it's exciting, but, like, is it really that exciting? No. Because I can't play it. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start up saying no. <laughs> so Half-Life itself was Valve's first game, and if you're familiar with Valve, you know that Valve is the people who do Steam and, like, all of the games that spawn off of that. So Valve would basically carry the company to create other staples like Day of Defeat, Portal, Counter-Strike, Team Fortress, Dota, Artifact, and Left 4 Dead. Again, still waiting for Left 4 Dead 3. I'll that camp out for I that one. That I would take. Yeah, that I'll camp out take. for that We're one. talking about people are still waiting to see if Artifact is actually going to be work. <laughs> so, oh, no. Yeah. Imagine, imagine waiting for Artifact 3. You can't even get Artifact 1. There's somebody camped out right now. It might be Artifact point 3.0 to try to hopefully that patches fix that shit. So interestingly enough, like Half-Life 1's development has like much, much of it's been lost in detail because according to employee Eric Johnson, two or three months before release, their visual source safe exploded and logs of technical changes before the game's final development were lost 
and code had to be recovered from individual computers. So a lot of like the early versions of Half-Life like just don't exist anymore. Um, but it's we like still NASA. have to <laughs> basically, but we still do have some really cool stuff that went into the making of the game. They think is a testament to how well it does. So Valve is based in Kirkland, Washington, and was founded two years before Half-Life comes out in 1996 by former Microsoft employees Mark Herring- Mike Harrington and Gabe Newell. And then for its first product, Valve settled on a concept of a horror first-person shooter using Quake's engine. So the game takes a lot of inspiration. It was initially inspired by... Uh, Doom in 1993 and Quake in 1996, again, using Quake's engine to make the game. And Stephen King's 1980 novella, The Mist, which I thought Kate would like, because I know how much you love The Mist. Yes. Which, like, going back and thinking about it, I was like, yeah, this is kind of misty, actually. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. And a 1963 episode of The Outer Limits titled The Borderland. According to designer... Yeah, see... See, it all comes together, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm connecting dots in my head. Yeah, so uh, Doom was a major influence, and the team wanted Half-Life to scare you like Doom did. The project had a working title of Quiver around the Arrowhead military base from The Mist. The name Half-Life was chosen because it was evocative of the theme, not cliched, and had a corresponding visual symbol, the Greek letter Lambda. Which, again, Matt C., look, they're thinking about you, you know, with Half-Life stuff. Because it represents the decaying constant of, obviously, the Half-Life equation. Which is kind of what I said at the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) When I think about (laughs) (laughs) Half-Life. So, according to designer Brett Johnson, the level design was inspired by environments in the manga series Akira. So, lots of different elements to this game outside of just kind of getting out of that doom clone phase that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, They took a lot of inspiration from, you know, horror books from manga to Greek letters, lots of stuff there. Yeah. As as is with many things when it comes to valve, they aimed for an earlier release, but just didn't quite make it. So they aimed for a November, 1997 release to compete with quake two, but by December or by September, 1997, the team found that they had, built innovative aspects and weapons, enemies, and level design, but the game still wasn't where they wanted it to be, so they pushed it back for an entire year. And they took a relatively like novel approach to assigning a small team to build a prototype level containing every element in the game and then spent months work working on that level. So they took they really did take their time into making it and didn't want to push it out too early. And I think I think that I thought was really great about how they're making this game is they the team took three different theories on how to make the game fun. First, they um, they had several interesting things happen triggered by the player rather than the timer. So for a lot of games we have like, when we talked about Halo, like Halo runs on that 30 second timer where you, know, you can stand there, but every 30 seconds something's gonna happen depending on how fast you're moving through the game. But they wanted the game to follow much more of the player pace to kind of give you that sense of kind of you are the person who's running the game rather than the game is running you. Second, the level responded to any player action, even for something as simple as adding graphic details to the walls for a bullet impact. So when you shoot the wall, 
something happens. When you pick up a can and throw it across the wall, it'll like kind of like tingle along. So there's um, that immersion factor outside of like the enemies. You interacting with the environment is also a big part of it. And then finally, the level warned players of imminent, of imminent danger, allowing them to avoid it rather than killing the player without any warning. So you can, the music and the sounds of the game is really, really important. So it's more than just kind of running and killing things. It's more focusing in on how the game runs, which is how they make the game more fun than just taking a shotgun and blowing off a demon's face like you do in other games, which is fun, of course, definitely fun. But they did, they definitely were trying to go at it from a different angle to make it more fun. No, I so do no. like... Oh, wait, oh go ahead. I was going to say, I was gonna say, obviously I like... Because for those who are aware, we will have Doom coming, as we also have Doom coming this month, so there will be a Doom episode. But no, just looking at this and like, especially what kind of we've talked about this year and delays of games, but seeing companies, especially back then, delay games to do all this extra testing and starting out is great to see. Obviously, I like the, the the pacing we talked about with Halo and stuff, and it's just fun seeing how that is incorporating game because anybody that's ever done achievements or anybody that eventually learns these things in games, you learn, one, you can sit around and learn off a timer to do achievements if you need to kill certain things or do certain actions, or two, you have things where you sometimes, especially like I think in the Call of Duty ones where you learn in Halo, not necessarily Halo, but if we do go to Call of Duty later down the line and like, you know, five six years where you get like the timing where people just can't camp out because they just spawn infinitely so you have to learn to move forward regardless so yeah. seeing all this integral parts it's pretty cool and obviously the quake engine is always fascinating so. yeah we'll talk a little bit later on about like how valve took the quake engine and kind of again kind of made it their own thing but yeah like basing it off that quake engine is super super important for the development of just more than just half-life of course but what are we going to say kate I was just going to say, when you when you were explaining everything like that, it just made me think of, um, what, what was it? Uh, Dark Quiet Death from Mythic Quest. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of my notes doing this, I was like, man, this, this makes you think about Mythic Quest. Yep. I literally have it, like, later on when we're talking about the, uh, <laughs> uh, the cross, uh, the crowbar. Yeah. Like, that's basically just the shovel. Like, it's, it's yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> So after much testing and working out the unfun parts, Halo would be released in 1998 on PC and for Matt. They, they did have a Dreamca- Dreamcast port in 2000. Don't know if you played that one. But I did not. Um, I did know of it. I think I played a little bit of it, but I like didn't own it. Well, actually, no, I didn't own that one. I did own a lot of games, but I don't think by then. But yes, once again, Dreamcast plugs for 2000 should always happen. We as this podcast are big fans of the Dreamcast, as in me, and that's all that matters. <laughs> I didn't have one. Con- I'm sorry. I didn't either. <laughs> but I would like to know: is that the official console of this podcast? Apparently, yes. Yeah, because <laughs> Matt dubs it so. I mean, the port was there, but unfortunately, it's the PC success that oh, carries yeah. it to over 50 Game of the Year awards and nine million copies sold by its 10-year anniversary, 2008. Also, you got to like remember that not very many games can run Half-Life. And if you've looked at Half-Life graphics, like you might think, oh, these are gross. But at the time, it's pretty revolutionary stuff. Yeah. And a lot of the times it gets overshadowed by how great Half-Life 2 looks. But at the time in 1998, Half-Life 1 was it. Oh, I do. Again, Matt was, playing, Matt was playing basically pixelated characters on the screen playing sports games. I was playing uh, NFL 2K, which is also probably known as one of the best games of all time. 
uh, as far as sports games, which you can look that up with Randy Moss. Uh, yeah. Despite being a 2004 game, Half-Life 2 looks pretty good. Like, it yeah. doesn't look too bad. And that was even more revolutionary in terms of graphics than Half-Life 1 was. But I think it's a lot of it's because Half-Life 2 development begins basically six months after the first game releases. And they expand it to a team of 82. And it was the first time that Valve develops a game on their own in-house engine called Source, like we talked about earlier. And then in Half-Life 2, a player is returned back to the role of Gordon Freeman. But now the game is set 20 years in the future. And the Earth is now occupied by the Combine, a trans-dimensional race that exploited the events of the first game to invade Earth. Basically, in the first game, a bunch of, like, head crabs and a bunch of stuff invades Earth after a Black Mesa experiment, blah, 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 blah. But now you have these Combine people with, like, gas masks and stuff. Um, but unfortunately, Half-Life 2 really doesn't have the same kind of smooth development as Half-Life 1, which... After like listening to this, listeners, remember, this is what happens in Half-Life 2. So just imagine what kind of development hell Half-Life 3 would go through. No. So Valve announced Half-Life 2 at E3 2003 with demonstrations of the characters, animation, and physics. And the reaction was positive, and the game won the E3 Game of the Show Award before it's even released. So there's so much hype around it. Kind of similar to what we see when we talk about Halo, when it, even just from the game's just basics, people are really, really excited about it. And then Noel announced the release date of September 30th, 2003. Remember, the game releases in 2004, so this doesn't happen. Um, but he did that in hopes that it would motivate the team to kind of get the game done. The team worked long hours to meet the deadline, but by July, it was apparent that the game could not be met by that deadline. And then rumors started to spread of a delay, which we know now happens all the time. But back then, delays are a much bigger thing, and people get a lot more upset about delays. Um, and then they were trying to push it to a holiday release, and that led to fan backlash and things of that nature. Honestly... When I think about fan backlash, I think the first, and this is, I mean, this is going to be different for everybody, but, like, I think the first time that I ever remember, like, actually hearing the gamers suck, like, narrative because of how angry fans get, it was with Half-Life. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And it, even so much so that Noelle was hesitant to even re announce a new release date after they pushed it back. He was quoted as saying, we were paralyzed. We knew we weren't going to make the date pr we promised, and that was going to be a huge fiasco and really embarrassing. But we didn't have a new date to get people either. Uh, so basically, the graphics, and even like to add on to this, the graphics card manufacturer ATI, if you remember ATI from back in the day, yes, had I arranged do. a... <laughs> I'm sorry, it was just one of those like, oh, oh that Matt's awake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ATI, remember that. Um, had arranged a promotional event on Alcatraz to coincide with the planned release of Half-Life 2, and Newell was unable to pull off the event because the game wasn't ready. So he gave a speech, demonstrated the Source engine, and left without addressing questions. Oh, my because God. Because he knew what backlash would occur through that. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Look at our game that we haven't finished yet. Sorry, bye. <laughs> So in early October of 2003, the Half-Life source code was leaked online by a German hacker. And he had infiltrated the Valve's internal network like months earlier. A week later, he leaked a playable version of Half-Life 2 oh, from that God. September 
revealing how unfinished the game was and the leak's damaged morale at Valve and slow development. And in 2004, he contacted Newell himself and identified himself, saying that he was just a fan and he did not act maliciously. <laughs> and then Newell worked with the FBI to invite the guy to a fake job interview, planning to arrest him in the USA. However, police arrested him in Germany, and then in 2006, he was sentenced to two years probation. That's funny. Uh, this dude leaked an entire game and then said, no, nah, bro, it's just because I love you. It's also crazy <laughs> to think, one, how many people would love to do that nowadays, and two, how, mo- how much more secure, secure, bunny quote, secure things have gotten from that point. Because, like, now they're just worried about people, like, taking videos of their demos or videos in, like, halls and stuff. And, like, I mean, I'm sure there is somebody at working security that's worried about the situation. But I feel like it's very much less so because of how the the engines that they run off now versus that. Yeah, for sure. But, like, that's going to suck. Crazy. I feel bad for product marketing managers when they have, like, an image get leaked. I don't even want to think about the whole game. Yeah, they released the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> to be, yeah it's just insane like i don't i don't even know how many people know that this happens like when you think about halo th- or um half-life 3 imagine all people try to break in try to leak that one to yeah. kind of recreate what that guy did because the internet's crazy right and they, they want to be they would probably want to be that guy who leaked half-life 3 so in 2004 the staff returned after christmas to long hours stressful working conditions and no guarantee that the game, which was costing a million dollars per month to develop, would be finished soon. Because Noel basically gave them an unlimited budget. He was like, here, all the money. Go make the best game ever. So they were spending money ridiculously. Uh, however, Noel felt that the progress was speeding up. And with the team producing about three hours of gameplay per month, in March, they created the first playable version from start to finish. Um, and stop production for a week to play through the game. The feedback from the company was overall positive, and after several months of bug, fis- bug fixes and playtesting, Halo was completed on October thirteenth, two thousand four. Halo and a big and a big thing that they, a big controversy around it is that they didn't um, release a beta. So even now to this day, like why didn't they release a beta? Well, they didn't release a beta because. All the stuff that they had to go through a year before the game was even finished. So of course nobody they earned you guys it. A beta. Nobody act- deserved a beta. They hacked the beta. They already played it. Yeah, right. It was hacked. You played the beta, <laughs> and it was garbage. Right. That's what betas are for. So Half Life Two was simultaneously released through Steam, CD, and DVD in several editions. Through Steam, and this was kind of like the start of you having to download external, you know, software to like play the games and things like that. Cause you had to boot uh, half-life two through steam. They had three packages that customers can order from. And something I really wished the game market would do more. So you had the basic version that included half-life two and counter-strike source. Whereas the silver and gold versions included half-life source, which is a port from the original half-life Dave Defeat, which was a new mod to the engine. And then the collector's edition, the gold version, included merchandise, a shirt, and a strategy guide, and a CD containing the soundtrack used in Half-Life 2. So even if you bought the basic version, you were still getting more than just the game you were buying. Oh, what we need to do is we need to go back to strategy guides 
soundtracks. Yeah. I'm tired of having yeah. to print out things and look at, like, just you can look it up on the internet. And I'm like, you know how hard it is to play a game on your PC? And then have to look things up on the internet. I will say this, looking up stuff while playing Anno was almost impossible. I and mean, I wasn't going to sacrifice my Real Housewives marathon at the same time to be able to open that 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 that, that third tab. That's all my I mean, computer I can, can do. I can't even have other tabs open when I play Apex. So like, I I mean, give me some kind of some guides again. I just think it's really cool they gave you different options, and the different options like mattered. It wasn't just like here's the game, and then this hundred dollar more version gives you some in-game cosmetics. Like you know, you got like physical things with the game, and I miss that. Well, I mean, I think time. we, I think Steam, at least PC version, still kind of do that. Obviously, like you said, I think it's gone more to, they give you a lot more in-game cosmetics because obviously as much as those quote-unquote cost money, they're literally just quote-unquote whatever. Um, they're digital things. So, um, but no, I do think you can still get the collector's edition for a lot of game. But no, having the, they still have bronze, silver, and gold in I think a lot of the other games, that were, especially ones that release, or at least I've seen quite a bit, maybe not for everything. I think that it's now called Deluxe uh, Editions more yeah. so than the gold, but I just don't think... I think also they like bundle like season pass and content versus other games. Yeah. How many games these days give you like a whole other game, though? Yeah. Like, they literally gave you Counter-Strike Source, which is personally like my favorite version of Counter-Strike. But they just gave that to you with that the rest of the Adrian game. That said that and not me. <laughs> Counter-Strike Source is amazing. Counter-Strike Go is only in the thing because they're not going to make more Counter-Strikes after this, probably. Counter-Strike Source was chef's kiss. If you played 1.6, you know that Counter-Strike Source was much, much better. Sure. That was <laughs> <laughs> so, despite the production troubles, which there were many... Uh, the game was received even better than Half-Life 1, and then the expansions that they offered were a little bit better than Half-Life 1. That's debatable, but Half-Life Episode 1 took you through the perspective of Alex, one of the um, playable character, or not playable characters, but one of the NPCs that you meet inside the game. And then Episode 2 returned you back to the perspective of Gordon Freeman. Uh, so actual expansions, but not without making you pay like a whole other big chunk for the rest of the games. And again, like Kate said, they put a lot of it into the orange box, which gave you a bunch of valve games. And they said, here, play all of our stuff, which is again, something I wish more companies would do. Yeah. And not be just Humble Bumble. Edition, like, Adrian. Like, oh. I don't want Humble, Humble Bumble's great. Look, go buy stuff from our Humble Bumble and all that great stuff. Our Humble Bumble? But, humble, hum, humble Bundle. Bundle. Humble bundle we're not a dating uh, service <laughs> <laughs> but like the orange box was so damn cool because you was got half-life cheap. 2 episode 1 episode 2 portal team fortress like those are all vastly different games and they just gave it to you in one nice finally done package portal is one of my favorite puzzler games i love platformers i love platform puzzlers and i love it when they're ridiculously hard and i really love it when they're co-op so portal and portal 2 are two of like my favorite games and the orange box was really the reason that i picked up the first portal and kind of fell in love and also how i got to play the half-lives and how i got to play and it was all because i wanted to play team fortress too so, like, I think one of the cool things, and I wish more companies did that now, is when you do bundle so many disparate games together, you are kind of, like, just letting somebody come into your brand 
And a lot of the times if people walk around in your brand, they're going to stay and they're going to keep coming back or they're going to buy subsequent subsequent games, which like especially when you're bought when you're bundling older titles with newer titles, there really isn't anything to lose. And it's a very good way to build more brand loyalty, because if I had just bought Team Fortress 2, I don't think I ever would have checked out uh, Half-Life or probably even Portal, maybe. But, like, that one thing served as a gateway when Portal 2 came out. It was, I bought it first day. So, I think the only problem is, I do think they still do that. Just sadly, they don't give you the variety that we are talking about here. They give you, well, here's half, like, in this case, they would have given you Half-Life 1, Half-Life 2 and a half, or Half-Life 2. They've given you all the older games within one franchise. Yeah, like so the you Master Chief like Collection. Anno, we can technically, oh, you can buy fair. a bundle, but you're going to get all the previous only Anno games. You're yeah. only going to get all the Assassin's Creed games. You're only going to get all the like Elder Scrolls games. And so while that is still good and great, but it's like you said, it keeps you invested in one franchise and you can follow that, but you do not get the variety that what you're referring to here of getting a Team Fortress, which is a, not really completely, but completely different game. You don't get a portal yeah. and everything yeah. else. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's especially important for Valve too because Valve, like, a lot of these games run off the same engine and a lot of them work the same way. Like, the portal gun that you use in Portal is basically the gravity gun that you use in Half-Life 2. Like, mm -hmm. it's just them improving and doing different things. So by giving, like Kate said, like a more variety of games, you get people invested in your other franchises, and you're like, oh, wait, this plays like this thing. So maybe let me play this other thing that maybe not be a first-person shooter, but it's a puzzler game, but it has the same kind of mechanics. And, yeah, I just wish they would do that more. As much I... as I like... Oh, go ahead. I was saying, as much as I like the Master Chief Collection, like... Give me other games with your thing. Yeah, you didn't like Halo like, Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for me, like what, because I played Team Fortress first, and then I jumped to Portal, and then I was then I got stuck in Portal, and I didn't want to stop playing games, but I only had Orange Box with me. I think I, was, I brought my Xbox to I think my mom's house, and it was because that was the game I was playing at the time. It was, it just was what I stuck with because I was in college and I, I didn't, I can't, I couldn't afford a whole bunch of games. Um, but, and I was like, well, there are other games to play. Guess I'm going to play Half-Life. And I like played it that nonstop that entire weekend. So like, it's just, I don't know. It needs, to, it needs to come back. Bring it back. Bring it back. Come on, Val. Influence the industry. It's not making VR games. Oh yeah, they do. Influence Just kidding. The we'll talk about industry. that. They have Steam. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so before we get into the but why those, hear some more on Podcorn. So how long have we been trying to monetize our podcast? Um, I don't know. How long have we been around? So for three years. But the cool thing is, is now we've done it with Podcorn, as you heard on the top of the show, um, which Matt found on a community Facebook page. Yeah, I was digging around on our community Facebook page and saw that Podcorn's been apparently a hot thing these days. And um, for those of you who don't know, Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities such as host-read ads, such as this one, uh, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. Uh, just basically jack-of-all-trades. The best thing about Podcorn is that there's no middleman. And honestly, one of the hardest things that we've experienced as a show is, although we're not super small, 
We're not Shea Serrano in The Ringer, and we're also not Conan O'Brien. So it's been really hard to kind of get our show out there to get monetized and to get sponsored. But the cool thing is podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on Podcorn's platform. They can also set their own rates and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. Unlike the other places where we just kind of place things and wait for hopefully somebody reaches out. But with Podcorn, we can just reach out directly. So wait, after three years, it's that easy? We spent all this time... And it's been that easy. Yeah, we went in and wrote a pitch, and I even got the chance to add a voice recording so they could get to know us, get to know how I talk, and kind of hear us out. Yeah, what I like is that you never give up any of the rights to your podcast, and Podcorn's here to support you at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do for brands. The cool thing is that the Marketplace's mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control over how and when they choose to monetize. Um, so if you're working on moving your podcast game up, make sure you head to podcorn.com and make your account today and get started. Click the link in our show notes to sign up for Podcorn and start browsing all of your sponsorship opportunities. So while basically the production history in itself is one big why, though, because it's just like this one company started by these two Microsoft people created this whole thing. Um, I think the first thing that we have to talk about is kind of the overall success of the franchise because, like, looking at it, I think this might be one of the most highly rated series that we've covered. Because a lot of the times we look at games and we're like, oh, well, you know, some of these games were not good. Looking at you, Halo ODST. Um, and they just weren't as good as some of the other games were. But both Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2, kind of in their own respects, were very highly rated. And even down to some of the expansions that I'm not going to talk about. But Half-Life 1 itself, in 1998 was rated a 96 out of 100 on Metacritic and then some other, you know, bigger roles. So I think when Games, when GameSpot and IGN were kind of like the big players there, 9.4 out of 10 on GameSpot and a 9.5 out of 10 on IGN. Metacritic said it's not just the best game of the year, it's one of the best games of any year. And it's a classic that is miles better than any of its immediate competition and it is a in its single player form it's the best shooter since the original doom which becomes like a very kind of um thing for half-life a lot of these games that are coming out in terms of first person shooters especially on pc are kind of chasing this doom model and half-life is the first thing that kind of breaks away from that which makes it you know this highly rated in that sense and you have other things like ign said it's like the touristic uh, force in game design the definitive single player game in first person shooter next generation said that it is a it is a fast pace it is dramatic and it brings the very idea of adventure out of a pc out of the dark ages and into the 3d world all of that with not a single orc in sight because 1998 you have a lot of everquest and pc games are kind of focused more on yeah. the mmorpg at this yes. time but Half-Life says, hey, look, first-person shooters are still a thing, and it can be more than just Doom or Quake. Yeah, which I guess kind of tail on that, as you keep mentioning Doom, which uh, I guess another spoiler, we will be going more into these Doom clones, but at least from what I know from here, like this is where we get the first definition of first-person shooter because yeah. everything before that was literally just Doom clone, Doom clone, Doom clone, and they were just like, well, this is not really necessarily just a doom clone this is so great we can't just say like this might this is definitely see rivaling doom so we're not gonna name it after 
And so this is kind of like when we get the first, as you said, the definite of like the first development of the genre of first person shooter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this this game walk well this game runs, so hey like Halo can sprint, basically. <laughs> and yeah. we talk a lot in our Halo episode if, if you listen to it for for our live episode, it was a lot of like, well, Halo didn't do this first, but it did it, you know, better. And a lot of that comes from Half Life kind of doing it first and then ha- and Halo kind of improving on it to kind of be like the next definitive shooter. Like which is cool. I guess later. it's gonna be cool for this year because we are gonna get Doom, which kinda starts this. Or whatever, yeah, and then we get to sure. base, like they have he basically they stand up for Half Life <laughs> to start walking, for Halo to start sprinting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically. And then you have Half Life Two, which comes out in two thousand four. I just like I want to preface this by the kind of year that two thousand four is in terms of games. Two thousand four is the same year that World of Warcraft, Far Cry, Doom Three. Grand Theft Auto, San Andreas, Halo 2, Ninja Gaiden, and Fable all came out. You that also is have a just, giant year. Oh, you know, it just is to a, preface this. Yeah, it's a great year. We also get, um, it's also, I think, um, I think it's right coming, it's in the year we have one of the best Madden games as well that comes out, Madden 05, which is revered. Um, Nobody cares I'm, about your sports games, Matt. <laughs> I'm sorry. Which one was Madden 05? The one with um, Ray Lewis on it. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. I had this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah gosh um, matt you're just a fake gamer boy but no it sports. does get half-life too because obviously you brought up some but i know there's other ones of like it just gets drowned out yeah yeah there's so many games that come out this year that are like highly regarded like we've talked about fable multiple times uh i'm sure there'll be a grand theft auto episode at some point we're having a doom episode here pretty soon uh we did a halo episode ninja gaiden is phenomenal like there's really really great games that come out this year but Half-Life 2 comes out and just, like, blows a lot of them out of the water. So for its rating, Metacritic, 96 out of 100. And by 2004, we have much more people, like, rating games and things like that. But I think some of the biggest ones here, um, IGN rates it a 9.7 out of 10. Maximum PC rates it 11 out of 10. I don't even know how you even do that. <laughs> but they did it. Uh, Half-Life 2 itself earned 39 Game of the Year awards, including... Overall Game of the Year at IGN, GameSpot's Award for Best Shooter, GameSpot's Reader's Choice, PC Game of the Year, Game of the Year from the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, and Best Game with the Game Developer's Choice Awards, where it is also given various awards for technology, characters and writing, and voiceovers, and like BAFTA awards, and all that kind of thing. Literally things. everything. Literally everything in the same year that we have World of Warcraft, Far Cry, Doom 3, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, Halo 2, Ninja Gaiden, and Fable. Star which Wars are all... Battlefront comes out this year, too. Yeah, Star Wars Battlefront. Like You have so many heavy hitters coming out, and Half-Life just kind of sweeps it and takes all the awards. And interesting to kind of note, because we talked about getting to the world records a couple of times on the show, it awarded Half-Life 2 the world record for highest-rated shooter by PC Gamer Magazine in the Guinness World Records Gamers Edition in 2008. So four years after the game even came out. Um, so when we get to, like Matt had mentioned earlier, so Doom is kind of like the predecessor to basically every major FPS game we have. Um, Half-Life 2 is kind of the next step in that redefinition. So you have um, Doom in 1993 and then Half-Life 1 primarily in 1998. So while Half-Life 2 is probably the game that people have played more and probably remember more, at least for kind of like our age range, 
just based on when it came out, Half-Life 1 is actually the one that has all the achievements. So we're going to kind of focus on that as the kind of redefining moments. Um, Half-Life 2 really just improves on the things that happened in Half-Life 1. Um, but I think because of the leaping graphics, the situation gets a little misremembered on which one yeah. is the better game. Personally, I like Half-Life 1 a little bit better just because the re- re- replayability is much better in Half-Life 1. Um, but Half-Life 1 really escapes that Dune clone label. And it just does it in a couple of major ways. So the first one is it provides a little bit more realism in just kind of subtle ways. So one, the guns just aren't floating around. <laughs> They're in logical places. <laughs> so you just don't get a bazooka from the uh, scientist lounge area. Like, you don't get things from there. Question. I Was Duke Nukem a Doom clone? Yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry. That just, that, it was funny because the gun floating around... Didn't make me think of Doom. It made me think of Duke Nukem. Duke Nukem is highly inspired from Doom. Yeah, Duke Nukem is also highly inspired. Yeah, yeah. Um, so another big reason to, or another way that kind of invokes a little bit more realism is that you have the ability to kind of tackle the maps more or less in your own way. While there's like a kind of railroad system it's much more it's much less like kind of defined where you get to explore the map a little bit more you get to go and visit different rooms because each area of the game's map felt like a place that existed for a purpose so even if it didn't directly impact your path in the game in a notable way it's still there so there were break rooms there was labs next to labs where they were studying similar subjects and numerous instances of objects and environment events that made black mesa's facility feel like an actual real place. It just wasn't just room and then a bathroom and then another yeah. hallway. Like there was multiple labs, there was bathrooms, there was just more things to make it feel like it was an actual place, which kind of was a little bit different than you just running through random areas shooting demons in the face, which is fun, but doesn't invoke that same kind of realism that Half-Life does in 1998. Another big piece of this is the ability that Half-Life invokes puzzles into its game. So many of the FPS games released after Doom kind of follow that same kind of playbook in terms of puzzles and non-combat obstacles. So basically, you're going, you're finding a key or a pass card, then you're going on to the next area, and you have to like find the thing, and that usually involves you shooting a lot of people in the face. Um, it's a simple way to throw in some hurdles without forcing the player to drop combat for too long, but obviously isn't a big kind of puzzle part of the game that you see in Half-Life. I will say this, kind of like the quicksand thing, I thought p- growing up that pass cards would be, and key cards would be a bigger part of my life than they are. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> as much as we talk yeah. about the quicksand thing, of like, man, I always thought it was going to be danger from all the quicksand I saw growing up. Pa- key cards and pass cards were also another thing that I thought I was going to need to know a lot more about that I realized. That so, like, I thought that they were going to be cooler because, like, at my at my job, we have to use a badge for ever, like literally any door I go through that has another layer of the office. I have to use a badge, but it's not cool. They don't like rectal scan me. I don't have to like <laughs> swipe it. I just use my little lanyard, and it stretches off of it, and it goes key. That's it. It's not cool. <laughs> that that was my bamboozle. I thought it was gonna be cool. Yeah, but if, like, matter I needed to get in there, we have to find you and kill you and get this key card and then get into the building. So we That's need to go the to the part. floating kitchen to find the <laughs> to come back. That's to the find problem. The You're the person with the badge. Matt and I are the people who need to find the person with the badge. 
That's the harder part. But Half-Life does things a little bit differently. Again, like you're a theoretical physicist who went to MIT. So not all problems are solved with you shooting things. Some of the like the things require puzzle solving. So the most obvious example of its approach to a better class of puzzle design is the infamous sequence with um, where you basically have to find your way to launch a missile in order to kill a basically unbeatable enemy that's attracted to sound. So you're basically incorporating uh, stealth, multi-step solutions, and like dash horror base tension to like kill things in Half-Life 2. It's not just you can't shotgun everything and you can't just run past stuff. You have to find a way to activate this lever here. Oh, wait, that lever didn't work. Let me go activate this other lever while you're fighting these enemies. So a little bit different and kind of changes the mold. Now, I mean, they're kind of easy to kind of go through, but at the time, when you see an NPC kind of walk through and get one shot by this, you know, this enemy, it kind of lets you know and kind of informs you on like, hey, like this thing requires more than you shooting it. You have to figure out a way to kind of sneak by it and find out what solutions work where. Yeah. And then past that, you have the AI in the game. So again, Valve basically reroutes the script from the Quake engine, like we talked about before, to make many uh, to make enemies smarter. So enemies in Half Life talk to each other, they move around, they'll flank you, they'll run away from grenades, a lot like we see in Halo Combat Evolved, but basically three years before it happens. Um, so another big part of this too so before we get to is telling part, or as you're going to. Can we talk about, I just want to mention a little bit about Quake, because we've been talking about Quake Engine, we've been talking about Doom, and we just forget that Quake actually gets released. Yeah. Quake gets forgotten. Well, Quake, yeah, I mean, 1996. Well, I know, but it's just funny because, like, I think people skip over Quake so much because we go Doom to Half-Life, and Quake is actually in there and does a lot of stuff, <laughs> including this Quake Engine, but it never gets talked about. I forget about Quake until we go to QuakeCon, and that's the only thing to watch. <laughs> I mean... If I'm being completely honest, I played Duke Nukem and Quake way more than I played Doom I when played I was a kid. Doom and Duke Nukem. I played a lot of Quake. I played, I played a lot of Unreal Tournament. <laughs> like, <laughs> I played a lot of Quake. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just funny because obviously I did want to mention just because, like, obviously we will end up getting back, but it's just funny because Quake is groundbreaking in its own way, but it gets skipped over so much and people forget about it all the time. Hey, Half Life remembers. Half Life remembers Quake. Because they took their product and they changed <laughs> it to make their own game. So moving on from there. So, I mean, if you guys remember Duke Nukem, Quake, and Doom, not a lot of story there. Nope. Not, not a lot. Not a lot. Uh, but what Half-Life does is that the game is like largely show, don't tell. And the game is basically told within the game. Yeah. There's no cutscenes at all. No background information. Again, you enter in this game... Basically, a guy checking into work. You're on a train, going through the train, and you land, and you hear all these like background things. Kind of like how Portal kind of doesn't really tell you what's going on in Portal, while you're, but it kind of tells you while you're playing the game. Yeah. That's a lot of that. You never see Gordon Freeman's face outside of like the you know material on the um, you know back in the day when you had to like physically buy your games. His face was there, and his face was on the menu. But in the game, you never see his face. And he never speaks. And you are basically thrown into this 
figuring out Earth and the alien planet, and you see everything play out kind of around you, and really provides a cohesive story without really telling you any exposition or having any cutscenes, which now in like this day and age sounds ridiculous not to have any cutscenes or kind of any expository exposition to kind of build out a world. And it not only lends to Half-Life 2 20 years in the future, but it also leads to the expansions for Half-Life 1 and kind of allows them to give you a different perspective. So Half-Life Opposing Forces puts you in the shoes of a U.S. Marine during the Black Mesa incident because what happens in Half-Life 1, incident happens, and then the government, doing what the government does, sends a bunch of Marines to clean up the situation. So in Opposing Forces, you take the place of one of the Marines who's trying to kill and figure out what's going on um, at Black Mesa, and then Half-Life Blue Shift puts you in the shoes of a facility security guard who is seeing all this stuff happen and is like, wait, I'm just a regular dude, and all this stuff is going on. So they make a very considered effort to kind of build the area around you, even with some of the expansions to let you know, give you different perspectives on what is actually happening in this crazy, crazy situation. I actually feel real bad about myself, and I feel like I need to turn in my Stephen King card for not realizing the similarities between The Mist and this game. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I figured, I mean, uh, I've, been, I've been on record that I think The Mist movie is terrible. It's the not! It's beautiful! The Mist movie is terrible. You and just don't boring, like sad and endings. I and I hate it. You just don't uh, like sad endings. But I figured, I figured to be able to, you'd be able to see some similarities as yes. you kind of went through it. Do you want to talk a little, about a little bit of them? I mean, the, the, the book's been out forever, so. Well, yeah, I mean, the main thing is really just, like, the military aspect. So, like... Specifically, the fact that it's happening during the Black Mesa, like the setting, uh, the shit that's, or sorry, the stuff that's hiding from you. Um, I mean, it's just kind of like, I guess more setting is what fits it versus like actual like story, if that makes sense. So, like, all of it feels like the mist, but I don't know. Does that, I don't know if that makes sense. I'm gonna stop talking. I mean, that makes sense to mist fans, to you people who think that that's a good story. Uh, just kidding. I'm kidding. It's a good story. But yeah, it, it, it it's a lot of that. It, it's it's that first game is really really no nothing. Nothing's really told to you really at all. You're just like walking around. All these scientists are telling you that stuff is going wrong. You get transported to an alien planet. Sometimes, yeah, it's just craziness. But it, it's just done so well, and they kind of put everything kind of in the background for you to kind of see that it all unfolds in a really satisfying manner. And then the last thing to talk about real quickly for Half-Life 1 is just kind of the weapon system. And it's just introduction of just not stereotypical at this time kind of weapons. So Half-Life introduces the Kobar, which is the earliest and clearest declaration away from like that weapon wheel kind yeah. of perspective. And despite it being the first weapon you receive in the game, you end up using the crowbar constantly throughout Half-Life, whether it's for breaking boxes or smashing head crabs. And when I think about it, it reminds me a lot of the shovel, again, in Mythic Quest. And I wonder if it had the same kind of, like, you know, life of the shovel in <laughs> Mythic Quest. Like, when they said, hey, let's put a crowbar into the game that you use a lot. Like, they, if they have the same kind of uh, issues with that. If you haven't seen Mythic Quest, go do an Apple TV for a week and go watch it. Yes. It's really good. I was going to say, but can you draw a dick with a crowbar? Yes. Yeah, I don't think you can. I mean, maybe if you like smash it against the wall, you might be able to draw a dick with a crowbar, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. That might be a thing you can do. 
Um, and then the weapon system, of course, we've kind of talked about this before when we talked about Halo, where they kind of let you use weapons that make the most sense to you. So with the exception of like you replacing the pistol early on, you can basically use most any gun in the game throughout it. And it's really more based on situations. So using a rocket launcher against a helicopter instead of using like a pistol, um, using trip mines in places that require you do a little bit more clever movement. And using a shotgun against big monsters and not using it against soldiers who are trying to, like, hit you from across, like, the way. Um, there's not, like, a once you pick this weapon up, it's going to be the weapon you use for the rest of the game. It's yeah. a more clever way of kind of trying to get away from that wait till you get the machine gun kind of style of using weapons. And I really like that mechanic in games. Like, the, the fact that you have to make me think about what I'm going to use and how I'm going to use it is something that makes the games way more immersive. It's something that... Uh, Resident Evil does, but I also like that Resident Evil also does it with ammo. So, like, I can shoot this thing with incendiary ammo all I want, but it's not actually going to damage it. Like, that kind of thing. So, like, I think that mechanic is something that, like, is underrated, I guess, a little bit to me. Yeah, and also something that, like, nowadays, we kind of just see that as, like, a thing. Yeah. Right? Like, we just take that as, like, face value of, like, oh, you can just use whatever gun you really want. But back then, it was more the rocket launcher kills things much faster. So yep. just use that all the time. I don't know if you use rocket launchers in your sports games, Matt, back in 1998, but in Half-Life. My quarterback always had a rocket arm because you just threw it up and you just jumped with <laughs> Randy Moss and he caught it over everybody. Quality. <laughs> so just real quick for Half-Life 2 when it comes to kind of its redefining of FPS – uh, Half-Life 1 does, again, spark a lot of things, but Half-Life 2 did a little bit of some revolutionary things. So the first and foremost being that it took a much deeper dive into the characters. In Half-Life 1, you're just kind of running around with just these character models of the same scientists over and over again who are basically there just to, like, get eaten so you know not to go that way. Half-Life 2 does give you more characters to care about. And again, like, some of the episode 1 is based on Alex, the new game that's coming out at the end of this month is based on Alex as well. Um, and then I think the much bigger part is just kind of like the physics and graphics engine that Halo or Half-Life 2 introduces. So at E3 2003, Valve showed the G-Man, the guy in the white guy in the suit in Half-Life 2 in contrast to Half-Life 1. And it's really not even close. Like it's just this revolutionary kind of design from one game to the next in you know just a short period of time. The facial expressions, the movement, the really showed that like Valve is really moving the needle on graphics with their own engine. And in that, you have Valve doing much more, much better things in the physics department with the game. So the gravity gun being the best example, you can pick things up and then just drive them straight into your enemies. You can pick up a can and just shoot it right in someone's face. You can pick up like a one of those explodey pipe things and blow people up. Or you can use the gravity gun to lift things to help you solve puzzles. It's a much better kind of uh, take in that you can do more things when you have better graphics and better materials to use. And I'll also say that I think this is one of the sequels that you can definitely pick up without having played Half-Life 1 yeah. because of the way that they kind of continue that storytelling model of you know show, don't tell. So if you're coming into the game, you're 20 years in the future from Half-Life 1, so you can basically either see the world, how it changes from the first game, or you can just follow the story as it plays out, just like a normal game. But because either way, you're showing what's being happened. So someone who has background is getting the same information of 20 years later that someone who is 
played the game since 1998 all the way up to 2004, which I think is something that we don't see very much. I know when I tried to play Gears 5, I had to like go back and figure out what happened in the other games, which isn't always the most fun thing. It's the reason why I don't play Assassin's Creed's game, because I'm just too far past what's going on in that series. But Half-Life 2 at least gave you kind of like, here, anyone can play this game, no matter how popular Half-Life 1 was. I will say I'm looking at some of these stills from Half-Life 2, and they're not bad. Like, I mean, they're obviously not what we have now, but they're not bad at all. I would argue that's better than some games that we see now. Like, this is better than some games that we saw on Xbox 360, some better games that we see at original Xbox PlayStation 4 level. Yeah. They're not bad at all. Um, I will say, obviously, it's nice to have the little perspective thing. Obviously, there is value in games. Like, I obviously love Assassin's Creed, so having a pickup continuing right there versus jumping years ahead, because I think you do sometimes get weird gaps. But obviously, if you can do it properly, it ends up working out well. So I can see the value in both ways doing it, because obviously it's a nice way, especially because, like I said, this is a nice way to get both community or both communities new and old. So as long as it works out well, it's good. But I do see the value. I'm not. I will still always value things like Assassin's Creed and Gears, except for when they do it 20 years later, and then you're like in actual real time, and you're like, oh, I was in middle school when this came out or something. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, so moving on from there, kind of this the FPS things that it does. Another big thing, and probably the thing that makes Valve the most money, is the modding part of what Half-Life does. So Doom, of course, will always hold a special place in PC gaming history as the FPS title that helped make modeling mainstream. However, Half-Life has exact contributions to the mod scene that are basically often overlooked. And... It's crazy considering the fact that Counter-Strike, arguably the most popular FPS game, most one of the most uh, watched esports games, started as basically just a Half-Life mod back in the day. And this really comes from Valve giving the community their engine and letting them go nuts. And this is both in Golden Source, that uh, Valve modified model from Quake, and their own source model that they use for Half-Life 2 to create all of these different games. So, of course, Counter-Strike, essentially a mod for Half-Life 1. It was so good that Valve actually hired the duo who developed it to kickstart the Counter-Strike series. And now, again, Counter-Strike is one of the biggest esports around the world. And it all started from just two guys who modded Half-Life 1. Quake and Team Fo- Quake Team Fortress was originally a game that used... Quake existing weapons and Quake Team Fortress began with five playable classes that eventually grew to nine. And the three creators again were hired by hired by Valve um, to basically create Team Fortress and then again Team Fortress Two, based on the mods that they did. So if you're listening, Valve just takes what people do and then just makes it better. Well, but it's so I was going to say, the fair thing is they at least hire them. The problem we have nowadays yeah. is now companies just take the mod and say, we don't know who you are. Yeah. Well, did it it's... happen with Dota? Because Dota was a mod. Yeah, Dota's a mod, but also, like, still through through Valve. Yeah, no, so I was saying, because I think initially what happened with Dota, they didn't get hired initially. Like, they just, like, started adapting the mod, and then they got hired, like, years later or something like that. 
That that follow, probably follows. That's pretty early on in Valve's career. Yeah. That makes sense. But I know a lot of the also, MOBAs came out of mods, right? Yeah, I mean, all the all the MOBAs we have are basically because of Dota. Yeah. And that like weird mod there. Mods are crazy. Because you also have Gary's mod, which is basically a Half-Life 2 mod, which when you, if you look at the history of like mods and games, it's probably the most sandboxy mod game there is. And if you're not familiar, it's basically a physics-based sandbox game that really has no objectives. It just like lets players spawn non-playable characters and ragdolls and props, lets you interact and video video them. And it basically allowed players to make their own mods, uh, machinima, and all kinds of things that really hadn't been seen before. It's basically like red versus blue, but on crack is basically like what Gary's <laughs> mod awesome. is. And there's there's supposedly supposedly a Gary's mod 2 coming out later this year. We don't really have any confirmation on it. But it basically sold over 10 million copies with its mod. And it just let people go crazy. But again, all spawned off of Valve's Half-Life 2 source engine. And oh, then even my for the brother plays this thing. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like it's like Minecraft and Crap. Skyrim mods had a baby. But like in 2004. Yeah. And then even for both games themselves, outside of all these other mods, there's been a lot of mods to the original games that have really modernized them, updated their graphics, and even for some of them updated their gameplay to change the way that the games feel. And kind of continue that replayability, even if you're worried about kind of going back and playing these games. There have been updates to them to make them better to play, even now in 2020. Some of them, not as good. Like, people really don't like the cinematic version of of Half-Life 2, where you get uh, cutscenes and things like that. Because it just kind of changes the way the game feels. But they're there if you want to play them. Because mods. Mods are fascinating. I love mods. They're great. Uh, They definitely extend the shelf life of games. Um, obviously today's day and age of mods is also really weird because it's not kind of like you get hired and obviously depending on how things go, like obviously I still play Morrowind and people literally modded that game. It's still kind of highly played just because of all the mods. They've actually had people like redo the entire like graphics setting of it. So you can actually play with like upgraded graphics up to like 2008 or something like that, <laughs> 2012. And so, but that's the only thing like I like PCs. I mean, I like my consoles, but PCs will always be you know, in this aspect, way better just because of you can extend and fix things in games that are broken just by having community mods. Obviously, it's there's both positive and negative effects, but no, just having the ability to change just things you dislike and add things that you think would be great are awesome. <laughs> yeah, you don't want you don't want Thomas the Choo Choo Train in Skyrim. Oh no, terrifying. not that thing. <laughs> thing is no. terrifying. <laughs> But no, there's a lot of them I use. Like, obviously, Fallout does it great because as much as, or like, 4, I know people don't really like it, but I actually enjoy building. And so with some of the mods, you can actually expand on the building because it's great for what they had in the game, but it is eventually, after a while, a very limiting aspect where you couldn't have, like, more than 20 people. Then you can put a mod. Now you get 50 people. Now you get new stuff. Now you can expand your building things. And it just adds elements of continuing games on and on, which obviously Bethesda hates because... They don't make any more money off their game, but still, um, we're actual players. Mods are great. Yeah, they're great, and they work really well. I mean, they spawn so many games outside of that. I mean, mods basically make Day of Defeat. They make Counter Strike. They make Ricochet. They make so many games based off just the mods that 
Valve was like, hey, this is good. Come make it for us. And even from there, I mean, like I said before, Portal is basically a lot of the same things that happens in Half-Life 2, but just done in a different way to kind of, even the storytelling basis of yeah. Portal of Portal is a lot of what they do in Half-Life. So they they know what they do well and they keep making that thing. And I know we're kind of running short on time here, but I think something to talk about is the way that Valve makes their games and they do the, the Cabal process. And just a very short kind of rundown of it is that Valve just wanted to make games differently. So from the start of Half-Life 1, they wanted to move forward with a unifying design kind of team. So they created a cabal. It's just Essentially, it's just a group of six individuals from across all departments that work together uh, primarily for six months straight and six-hour meetings, four days a week. The cabal was responsible for all elements of game design, including level layouts, key elements, enemy designs, narrative, and the introduction of gameplay elements relative to the story. The collaboration provided successful, and once the cabal had come to decisions on types of gameplay elements that would be needed, many cabals formed from other departments that were most affected by the choice and were formed to implement these elements. And membership in the main cabals rotated since commitment required um, would create burnout. So they really kind of like took people from all aspects of the company, put them together on like a actual cohesive team and use that, use that feedback to implement into uh, things that made the game more fun. So we talked about the beginning where they tried to make the games more fun. A lot of that comes from them working within the cabal with one designer saying, Hey, this is cool. Play, play tester saying, hey, this isn't cool, and them kind of working together to kind of make that. I think it's something that seems very kind of like intuitive, but yeah. at the time, it's something that a lot of people didn't do. They kind of like broke up these departments, didn't let them really talk a whole bunch, but Valve really wanted to make it a cohesive unit, so much so that they used the same design in T-Fortress 2 and then used it again in Half-Life 2, even when they expanded their team out from like 10 to 86 uh, very interesting and again makes me kind of think of again Mythic Quest where <laughs> Mythic Quest's like whole dynamic is kind of like the competing uh, interests of all these different entities in the gaming development thing but it would be solved if they just had a nice cabal to they kind of work out they had an open office you can look at each other <laughs> yeah and then I guess the last thing that we should talk about just real quick is Half-Life Alex because Six, six, 17 years since the last Half-Life game, Half-Life Episode 2, I believe, instead of giving us Half-Life 3, like I'm sure everyone would want, and it would end all the Valve memes of them not being able to count to 3, and 86 years later, and blah, 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 we're still getting Half-Life Alex later this month, and Half-Life Alex takes place before the events of Half-Life 2, and players control Alex Vance, who is a prominent character in Half-Life 2. And the main character in Half-Life 2, Episode 1. That's a mouthful, the more that I say it. <laughs> and her and her father, Eli Vance, who are fighting to occupy... Who are fighting the occupying aliens, the Combine. It's basically described as Valve's flagship VR game. And from what I was reading, it's like... They're, they're putting a lot of like stock into this. It's like, this game is going to save VR as a platform. Valve... Um, or can't save a Alex, that has no people on it. Well, that's how you save, save it. <laughs> you that's how you get, save it. You get people to the platform. Exactly. So Half-Life Alex is being developed with the Source 2 engine, so Valve's new engine, and is compatible on all PC VR headsets. So 
Um, they'll be able to interact with the environment and fight enemies using gravity gloves to manipulate objects similarly to the gravity gun in Half-Life 2. Traditional elements from the series will be returning, such as exploration, puzzles, and physics combat. Um, and it's going to be supported on all VR headsets, like I said. So the Valve Index, HD5, Oculus Rift, Oculus Quest, and Windows Mixed Reality. Which I, didn't I always know forget that HTC is still around, and all they do is make a VR thing. Yeah, I had HTC phones forever. That's what I'm saying, so did I. Then they disappeared. <laughs> and they disappeared. And then the gameplay was designed around VR. Valve said that they had no plans to make a non-VR version. So you get what you get. And again, like all the other Half-Life games and basically all the other Valve games, it'll also support user mods via the Steam Workshop. Look, I'm not sure if I'll ever get to play this game because I don't have VR equipment and I don't know if I could talk to my wife into buying VR headset stuff for the kind of games that there are that are out there. But I looked through some of the gameplay that stuff that's up as of this episode because there's really not that much. It looks kind of cool. It looks kind of cool. And this might be the future of VR because it looks pretty immersive, man. It looks pretty good. You shoot stuff. It feels like, I don't know. I played some VR games and they just seem like still kind of gimmicky and kind of VR-y where you have to like, you know, so press the VR game forward. sounds VR-y. It, like, VR-y <laughs> in terms of like what we have now, right? Like where you defuse the bomb or like you make the cake. Like so it's just, it's just very kind of like VR games that have things that aren't just defuse the bomb and make the cake and like stuff like that. Like there's one with swords and like fighting giants, and then like there's a whole bunch of other. So stuff. So you played and... Fruit Ninja? No, like an actual <laughs> like no, it's not Fruit Ninja. Shut up. All this was to say, why, why, why am I defending it? All this is to say, they all feel off. Um, even when they're like really immersive and they're going to make you feel like you're there. And I've played a lot at cons and I've, I've never had one that I was like, I'm going to go buy a VR set. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But did Valve make any of those? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know so if it worked. Again, one... I probably won't buy one because... I don't have like the drive to, but like look at the gameplay. This looks it looks it looks like you're playing Half-Life in VR. Cool. And that's much different than like the Star Wars VR game that I've played where like I'm just holding a lightsaber and I'm deflecting things, but I don't feel like a goddamn Jedi. But in this you feel that like you're actually That is what Star Wars Connect is for, sir. <laughs> oh my god. So one No, it's not. I play it, you know what VR is good for? Beat Saber. That is about it. Or the Beat Saber knockoffs. Those are fun, but they're not worth buying a VR. I honestly think this thing's going to bomb. I think Valve just makes a ton of money off of Steam, and so they're going to try something new to possibly save this thing, because Microsoft's already said they do not care about VR themselves. I don't know where VR is going. I think VR is going to be part of our future. I don't think it will be in gaming. It might be wrong, yeah. but they also told me connecting the little PlayStation wand or whatever that thing was PlayStation Move the big was going to be part of my future, and both of those are all gone. PlayStation Move still around. Hey, man. Sims 5 is coming out with VR, right? That's called That's real life, sir. That is a terrible <laughs> idea. That is a terrible idea, but it will Come keep on. it will keep VR afloat just, yeah, just get people from to VR. the Sims. Yeah. Because the big thing, too, right? Like, I know when like they did the Fallout VR, I was like, oh, snap, Fallout VR. And then it just didn't happen. Did you play the Re- Resident like, Evil one, though? 
played played the Resident Evil one on the PlayStation, and it didn't feel like VR. It just gave me a headache. It also could be because I was drinking a little bit before I did it, so that might not have helped too much. But it's different than like doing like the Dark Soulsy Oculus game that they have, like where you like you're shooting yeah. skeletons and stuff. You know what's gonna happen? But this feels different. Break their TVs, falling over, trying to play this yes. game. That's all we're gonna get. You remember the Wii? The Wii memes point yeah. when everybody was throwing their stuff at the TV. All we're gonna get instead of their throwing their controllers, they're gonna fall face first in the TV. That's all we're gonna get from this. I don't know. <laughs> I, think but, I, I think I also look. just have a natural bias because I'm so used to wearing glasses that I get I get really motion sick when I either watch stuff through my glasses or I have to take them off. So I think I'm just naturally biased against VR because I get very sick if I'm in it for too long. That's fair. So That's VR fair. has not made a game that I just give a crap about. And until they make it affordable, they can make it reasonable where I don't need to clean out my entire house to be able to play it. And it's not something like, as Adrian said, I go, choo-choo, choo-choo, my lightsaber, and I just go ping-ping or whatever, <laughs> like I'm playing Pong. I just don't care. Yeah. And out yeah, of all like the I games said, that they could have made, that Valve has made over the years, why? Because I think, you, like you said, yeah. they just have... They got steam. They got they just, money. They rolling. just have they that, that, that F you money yep. where they're just like, we're going to do whatever we want and we know you'll buy it. That's because like fair. the video, their, their trailer had, what, like 10 million views in 24 hours? They don't care. I know they don't. Like I said, they got people steam rolling in. They it. don't care. They made Artifact and it died and they're going to make this. And it's probably going to die, but they're probably going to make some... And money. it doesn't matter because they control 90% of all PC game sales. And, and it's fine because each game. Look, even if you're not gonna play Half Life, Alex, like I probably won't until I go to my uncle's house and he has it there. Um, it's okay because at least until March 23rd, Valve, the gracious PC guys that they are, are having all prior Half Life series games free to play on Steam from January 2020, which is right now, until Half Life Alex comes out. So even if you don't care about any of this. VR stuff, but you're like, hey, I kind of want to go play the Half Life games. You can go play them for free right now on Valve. That's really cool, actually. That's really thank cool. Thank you, thank you, PC overlords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, by the time this episode comes out, you'll have three weeks or two and a half ish weeks to play this series, at least Half Life One and Half Life Two in its entirety. If you don't play any of them, I would recommend doing Half Life One. If you're worried about graphics, I would probably say playing Black Mesa is probably going to be your best bet because Black Mesa is like the graphics updated version of Half-Life 1. But even Half-Life 1, I think, is has a lot of replay, replayability factor even in 2020 to a 1998 game. But that's really all I got. The game's been around for a long time and people still love it, are still modding it, and it's probably one of the biggest FPS games to kind of change the franchise um, of fps since again doom which you'll hear about very soon yeah final thoughts matt it's one of those games i know i missed it during the time that it came out i remember 20 like i said coming out in 2004 and all the craziness um it's another one of those i know this is a revolutionary game i know it changed a lot of the genre stuff i didn't know quite exactly how much per se but i knew like if there's games to find things half-life will always be in there it's just something that I've just never either had time or did something else to ever play. But it's one of those you always know the importance of it. What about you, Kate? Um, uh, I don't 
else to say, honestly. Like, I think... I think everybody should play it at least once. One of the games, like, whatever. Because um, I do think that it, it, it has really good gameplay. And I, do, I would like to play it again if I have time. I don't think I do. But I would love to. Especially since it's all free. Um, but I, I do think, specifically... I still see Half-Life stuff at cons now. And they haven't done anything in years. I mean, look, it's an people, excellent business model. So <laughs> people like, still love Valve and they haven't done anything in years. I know. Not that they, what they did wasn't great, but it was not act like I said they haven't done anything. Dota is how old now? Counter Strike is how old now? Left- Dota Two still brings in the most yeah, like, money from saying. esports games. Half Life is how old? Hell, even Left for Dead is how old? <laughs> Like, outside of Artifact, that was, like, why everybody went crazy when Artifact came out, because Valve hasn't done anything for, like, 20 years, pretty much. I think it speaks to the quality of their games. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I got. We're, like, way over time. And Half-Life, if you play Half-Life Alex and you have a VR headset and all that stuff, hit us up. Let us know on the Twitters if it's good enough to buy. And I might be able to talk my wife into buying a $700 VR headset. <laughs> I saw what happened when you bought a tiger. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we, we, it'll just be set up one day and that you can't say anything. But I'm, re- I'm relying on you, Twitter Universe, to help me make that decision. That's all I got. You can take us out of here, Kate. <laughs> before I get into more trouble. Well, if you like what you heard and you want to support us a little bit more, head on over to patreon.com slash butwhythepc where you get access to our episodes early and all of our research notes. Uh, additionally, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere at But Why Though PC if you want to get involved in the conversation. And you can follow me on Twitter at Omimith Randier. Adrian? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S U P E R R U I Z 93. Matt? The cake is alive. <laughs> 